Hi guys, Claire from Wild Ginger Running here and back with another podcast from my YouTube channel, Live Chat Archives. This month it's the extraordinary road and trail athlete Jim Walmsley from the United States. I spoke to Jim just after his breathtaking 2018 Western States win, where he took a staggering 20 minutes off his own course record from the previous year. But just before his first UTMB, which he dropped out of along with Killian Jornet and a whole host of other top end names. This archive edition is chosen by my first ever patron, John Gardner. John is a proud grandpa from California, but now living in Maryland. He loves coastal views and running trails, especially in forests. He goes both in the day and at night too. He's currently taking easy, I hope, recovering from an operation last month. So this podcast is dedicated to you, John. I hope your recovery goes super well. And I want to thank you for your incredible patron support over the last two and a half years. I really appreciate your generosity and keen involvement with the Wild Ginger Running YouTube channel. It's just great to have you as part of the gang. What on earth is patron? I hear some of you ask. Well, it's a way for audiences to support content creators financially in return for perks. So while Ginger Running patrons get exclusive extra films, discounts, merch, training advice, priority given to their questions for our expert and elite live chat guests, and automatic entry into the monthly competition to win £400 worth of trail and ultra running gear. Interested? Support me on Patreon, like John, for as little as the price of a cup of coffee each month at patreon.com slash worldgingerrunning. So without further ado, here is Jim Wormsley from the archive, thanks to my most loyal patron, John Gardner. Enjoy. Congratulations on winning the Western States um, and breaking the record. Awesome, thanks so much. Um, so Dan Johnson wants to know, um, well, three things. He wants to know, when did you become a pro, what you did before that, and at what point did you think, oh, I'm good enough to turn pro? I signed my first contract in 2016 with Hoka, and before that I was in the Air Force uh, as a missileer up in Montana, so it wasn't real ideal for running and training, but kind of things in life changed and I began to get more time and decided to refocus on running. Um, I ran athletics in college, so uh, I kind of had that background, but where I was in Montana, I did, did a lot of traveling. I started to make that more my focus and thought I might be all right at it and kind of the more time and more energy and uh, the more I just threw into it, um, kind of it's snowballed and uh, it, it's just gotten better and better. Fantastic. And so just going back to your training with the Air Force, um, Stephen Pete Peterson wants to know, did that help you become the ultra runner that you are today? And if so, in what ways? Um, I would say like superficially, no, uh, is a simple way to put it. I don't think it really gave me any like improved me in any way to make me a better ultra runner, but I would say, um, like, kind of uh, ended up not going so great and being a, a little bit of a pivot point in my life, and it's definitely part of what motivated me to start doing something crazy, like trying to put trail running as a priority in my life, where... Um, if things kind of went better, I might have stayed in the Air Force or gone back to school or something and tried to do something else. But um, 
trail running was making me happy, and uh, that, that's kind of what I needed in life. Great. And so Scott Harper then wants to know, how do you train? Like, how many miles a week? And, like, have you always been this fast? Um, so I guess I'm from Arizona in the States, and I was a state champ in cross country and track. Um, I, I never really think I had the breakthrough on the track that I, I was looking for. Um, so I try to kind of periodize my training. So with that, that means um, after each race or, or like, for instance, after Western States, uh, I only, I, I back way off. Um, I guess I'm trying to turn things around pretty quickly. So I ran like 20 miles, then 80 miles, 100 120 and now I'm up to 140 miles a week um hopefully this week and then uh I'm also keeping track of like my vertical feet climb per week as well um I find that's pretty important I think really important for a race like UTMB but um a race like Western States where it's a bit more runnable um it, it takes a little bit of a balance so not too much vert but I ended up getting up to 150 miles a week, which I think is about around somewhere around 225k uh, a week. Um, and right now, or maybe right now, I'm at 140 miles is 225k. Um, but a, a little over 200 kilometers per week. Wow! And is that all? This it can't be all the same speed. Do you do? Do you break it up into say hills or speed sessions or just um, easy jogging? Um, so for Western States, uh, I'd have probably like one long run of about 20 miles for me that, um, or a little over 30 K that I would try to be a bit up tempo and keep pretty, pretty quick. So for me, um, in Flagstaff at 7,000 feet elevation, uh, kind of, I would try to pick like a rolling dirt road and keep the pace under six minute miles. Um, then I think I did one track work, like five by one mile on the track or, um, as my one, like kind of workout before Western States, I guess I ended up running a 10 K the week before as well. Um, so that, that by ultra running standards is definitely kind of a speed workout. Um, but then for vertical and flagstaff. Uh, I go to the Grand Canyon a lot, so it's a constant um, hour descent, hour climb, a little over hour climb, um, and I have a little loop that's uh, probably 32k um, with uh, probably 1800 meters of climbing or 1500 meters of climbing, uh, about 5,000 feet, so probably 1500 meters. Um, so I, I use that for kind of my big long climb for Western States. Right now I'm actually in Silverton, Colorado. Uh, I've been here for about three weeks and then I'll be here for a couple more weeks. But there's a lot more bigger mountains here and um, I guess I'm camping at uh, 3,300 meters and then I'm trying to get up and down in the mountains. And like yesterday I went pretty uh, a good pace for um about 55k or no sorry 50k um and then today just as recovery but still trying to get the vert i'll probably just hike uphill and then run downhill and 
I'm going to do a couple. I'm looking for something really steep today. So um, there's one hill specifically that I might just do a couple times. And do you do any downhill specific workouts? Danny Richardson asked that question. Um, if I do, sometimes it will be like a, a really runnable dirt road downhill. What do you eat day to day to fuel that kind of training? Um, that's from Peter Leonard. I, I start every day with granola and almond milk and uh, I'll have like a little coffee with that and then kind of uh, meander my way to getting going for a run. Like if it's about five hours right now, I do pretty low calories. I'll probably have one to 200 calories per hour. And then I'll probably have two big meals after that. So like a, an early dinner and then like a regular latest dinner. Um, I'm usually pretty hungry. Right now I'm just camping. I'll have like quinoa and vegetables and I'll put a avocado on it and a bunch of cheese and then if I eat in town it's typically pizza. Uh, I eat a lot of pizza. I am vegetarian uh, so I don't eat any meat. Is that something that you've just developed over time a bit like what Scott Durek did with his veganism or have you always been that way? Um, I haven't always been that way. Uh, I guess it has developed but it, I guess that diet kind of developed when I was in the Air Force and not really. It was after university, but before I started trying to run competitively, trail running. So it wasn't really performance decision. Um, it's, I guess, a lot of factors. But um, for me, it just hasn't seemed to affect my health. Uh, and I seem to do fine. So um, I, I don't worry about it too much. If I travel, uh, I'll try dishes after races. But for the most part... Um, yeah, I'm just not eating meat. It's not like I'm trying to push that down everybody's throat and say, like, this is a better diet. It's just my choice, and um, I, I think other people's choices are their decisions, too. So, uh, But it works for me, and so I keep doing it. That sounds really sensible. So another thing about performance here from Mick Murray is, can you ask Jim how much he values rest and sleep in achieving such performances? Yeah, I think it's really important because, like, just a, a saying that a lot of people, I guess, say is you can only work out as hard as you recover. Um, so, like, I'm always trying to get probably at least like eight to ten hours so I'll start my runs later if uh if that means like I need to sleep in like I, I tend to be a little more of a natural night owl so that means I end up kind of naturally sleeping in a little more but um part of that's just allowing myself to get the sleep no matter the hours um and then I would say since being a pro runner now and doing it full time, so I'm not working. Um, that's probably been the biggest change and the, the biggest like contribution to letting me train harder is the fact that day to day things are pretty low stress, and then I I I do make sleep a big priority, and so I find that just really helps me with the recovery. It doesn't start that way for sure. To get my foot in the door, I mean, I would email sponsors all the time and just get, like, told no left and right. Like, every single shoe, shoe running shoe brand out there said no to me at some point. I bet they're wishing they hadn't said that now. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It worked out for the best. But, um, I, I mean, there, there were times that were tough, and 
And like I'm waking up at 4.30 to go for runs in the middle of winter when it's completely dark for the whole run and then go work like a 10-hour shift at a bike shop for um, not tons of money and then just kind of repeat. But uh, for me, that was a big reason why I moved to Flagstaff to just work at a bike shop. But in the beginning was just I knew it was in the right elevation and the right place and even like just doing the same thing and grinding it out, you have an opportunity to um, just kind of get in that cycle and you'll, it'll st- still turn you out really fit. And and I think that was going to give me an opportunity. I didn't really know it would evolve into kind of where I'm at today, um, but it was just something that I wanted to do at the time. That's really interesting you say that because... That leads on really nicely to this next question from Craig Ferber, which is, is it with you, is it discipline or is it motivation? Which one is your main driver? I I find it's probably motivation. If I don't have a race on the schedule, I find it really hard to get out there and train. Um, I'm pretty competitive, so when I set some goals, I want to put in the training and the work to go accomplish that but discipline wise I, I would say discipline is probably not as big of a factor because uh, I kind of jokingly say I'm a pretty bad professional athlete like I still like drinking beer I do stay up too late which means I sleep in too late and I still like socializing so where if I was a more strict and disciplined professional athlete like maybe you'll see on the the track or with athletics and stuff maybe I would have a different outcome with it but for me balancing an enjoyable lifestyle and socializing and friends and stuff is really important to me and how I kind of balance my stress so um, I I would say definitely motivation and for me putting a race on the calendar uh, kind of stirs that up Um, right I guess this year in general, I'm trying a lot harder not to throw in other small races for fun and more or less try to do big proper training blocks for the right races. And so far between like, I'm not racing as much, but um, the results are pretty good this year between Lake Sonoma and Western States and things are kind of shaping up to hopefully be really good for UTMB right now. Yeah, really excited for that. A lot of people are wanting to ask you about that a bit later on as well. Um, But it is really interesting because this is very much like your physical preparation. Um, And David Clancy asked this really good question, which is, what about Jim's emotional preparation? Yeah, um, well, I do think being physically prepared helps the emotional or like mental side of things be a bit easier. Um, I think the more prepared you are physically, the more it kind of makes you tough and and confident going into a race. Uh, I think confidence is a really big thing, at least for me. It's become kind of my life and what I do, so a lot of it's just embracing it. Um, There's no way around about, like, I'm going to be running 100 miles at the end of August, you know. So... um, It's just getting ready for that. Lots of uh, visualizing the race, I guess. For Western States specifically, like being in Flagstaff, where we've had a few Western States champions and trying to focus my training towards that. I mean, Western States would come up all the time. So it, I guess the big races um, between myself and uh, my friends in Flagstaff, we're we're talking about it constantly. Um, we, We kind of obsess about it. 
which for a lot of people that's not perfect because they need a bit more of a balance and a little bit more of a break. Um, I find if I obsess about it, I, I focus more and more on it, and I, I don't find a burnout with myself. I, I really enjoy the hard training and like basically rallying every day to get out the door and do it again. And then you go to bed completely trashed. And it's the whole process that I think feeds into the mental side. If you do the work physically and and you know you hit your goals and training for each week, um, that really goes a long way in, in what you can take forward with confidence into a race. That's really interesting that you're talking about the social side there because um, the next question is, in fact, about the Coconino Cowboys. Um, so it's uh, Christian Gemslant. He says, how did that camaraderie of the Cowboys help towards such um, such a highly individual effort? Well, if you don't factor in crewing, etc., cetera, um, of a course record at Western States. So, I mean, we all had a goal of training for and basically peaking our training at the same time which was really convenient because once or twice a week when we need a big effort or a big run or go to the Grand Canyon or do a really hot run somewhere like in Phoenix or Sedona, um, we had other guys to kind of join in that suffering a bit with us, which I, I think helps all of us, not just me up front, but play dividends for Cody. And, and I mean, Eric had a moment where he found himself, I think, up as far as third place at Forest Hill before having a little bit of a struggle to the finish line. And Tim Frericks went through like ups and downs in the race. But overall, we, we had similar goals. And even Jared Hazen, who ended up getting hurt before the race, the way he was just putting in mileage really like set the bar for us to kind of rethink our own training and rethink like maybe we should try doing a little more and getting a little more out of ourselves and and we'd bounce each other like how you feeling do you think like e- even if Jared was pushing mileage we might go well do you think that's necessary or do you think you need to and he's done it before so he drew a lot of confidence that um that was going to help him run his best race but I guess bouncing off how we're all feeling like I mean if we're all in a similar block of training and essentially we all feel terrible you kind of have an okay feeling knowing like all right I'm supposed to be feeling terrible right now it's not a big deal and uh so yeah we're all going through the same process training together so that was just huge there definitely was a team aspect as far as day-to-day training and having people to relate our, our ups and downs of a training block. So that was big on race day. Um, I mean, honestly, when I was out front, I, people weren't even telling me about Francois and the guys behind me. They were telling me about Tim and Cody and Eric, uh, which was like, all right, that's great, but I'm a little worried about the guy chasing me. Like, have you heard anything about second? And people are like, oh, I, I'm not sure. Um, but they would give me updates about the other guys all day, and it's nice knowing that um, they were just pushing hard and trying to 
to make their own days really special. Because you had a lot of pressure on you in previous years, the last couple of years at Western States, and you said yourself you put a lot of pressure on yourself for breaking the record. Um, A couple of people, Fiona Lynch and Andrew Raynor, they want to know how you manage those expectations, um, your own as well as everybody else's, and how do you cope with that pressure? Yeah, I guess um, it's just kind of become the new norm. Uh, So I guess with more pressure and more spotlight and almost even more expectations even now, um, it it becomes kind of normalized. Uh, So there's definitely, I think, in 2016, the end of 2016 and 2017, it was more of an adjustment period. I would say now it's it's easier to brush off and just be like, I just need to try to replicate stuff that I've already done. Like, it's not that big of a deal. At Western States this year specifically, I would say um, two big things really took off the pressure was uh, the early forecast for a really, really hot day kind of throw a big wrench of conservatism in my race plan and I think a lot of people's race plan of when you know it's going to be one of the hotter years, you don't necessarily want to rev it and push too fast um, because the consequences are more likely to come back and haunt you. Um, and then the other part of it was having the other Cocomino Cowboys running. So just within our own group, the focus wasn't necessarily just on me. And then um, someone like Francois Diane coming in racing, um, who's considered, like, especially after winning UTMB last year in that field, he's kind of expected to to run really great and give it, like, a lot of attention for him to win the race. So having someone of that status really helps share the load of pressure a bit. Um, And then, yeah, like, even going to UTMB forward, I'm not the only guy with pressure to win UTMB. I mean, anything except for a win for Killian is kind of a disappointment, you know. So, um, but I feel the same way. Like, if I ended up second at UTMB, it would still be a bit of a, a disappointment in some ways. But I, I don't know. I, it's just becoming a, a bigger vision process, and I know I have more years ahead of me. So there's time to do more races and to, to do this or that. It's just a process, embracing that Western states might take three years instead of one year to win it, um, and, and that's okay. Like uh, Just to get to that point is a pretty great achievement, so just think of it as not a big deal and you're just going out for a run. That's that's good advice there as well, I think. What nutrition do you find um, works for you? That's questions from Ron Plunkett and Kat Miller there. From Western states in 2017, for a couple races... Uh, I kind of, like, my stomach got so bad in 2017 at Western States that I think it kind of made my stomach and appetite a bit trigger-happy for UTMB and Diagonal Day food. Of Like, I would reach a certain point and just go, like, oh, man, I, I can't, like, th- this isn't good if I go down this hole again. That um, Western States, I just kept pushing through it and pushing through it. And uh, my stomach and... I guess those memories got pretty pretty ingrained. So this year I've had to um, 
figure out new ways to do nutrition for myself. And I think that just goes to nutrition can evolve for a single person. And um, it's not always the same recipe for success. Um, Like I wish I could have a single nutrition plan and have it be just repeat all day and be able to work for any race, but it, it doesn't work that way. A race like Western States really needs to be fluid-focused, I think, um, and getting in a lot of fluids, um, whether you're eating, like, gels, blocks, bars, or you have calories in your fluid, you got to make sure at a hot race like that that you're getting in a lot of water with it. Um, So that was a big focus for me. Um, I've had to work with Cliff Bar on nutrition a bit to... Um, figure out a way to get calories in my bottles but um, what we've done for a big part of it is we've taken out the flavor component so um, I'm not getting flavor fatigue as much um, as I would be with flavored drinks and then I'm doing I'm I'm not trying to push the calories like I used to try to do Um, I think probably 50 miles maybe 100k-ish, uh, you can start pounding probably three to sometimes even up to 500 calories an hour I've, I've experienced. Uh, probably three to 400 calories though um, for a six to eight hour effort. That That's just really high intensity, but that has been leading to um, problems trying to do that for longer and something this year that I've been doing is just doing less calories so western states ended up being about um, 235 calories an hour for me uh, and then in addition I guess with the cliff like flavorless hydration mix uh, we've also worked on the sugar blend to that to try to keep a continuous flow of energy and different types of sugar to um, get into my system uh, at different times and so I found a really good constant uh, flow of energy with the blend that we ended up coming up with and then it, it's been working in my training as well so I'm going to try to see if we can get more of that for UTMB uh, I'm, I'm a really big believer of sugar uh, other people have different philosophies of it but for me I think if you can harness making sugar work it's going to be the jet fuel out there that's going to uh, give you the best energy and quickest hitting and um, you just got to figure out how to kind of trickle it in so you're not getting highs and lows and um, yeah so I guess western states I did 235 calories an hour but it was mostly through drink mix and then I was also doing um, salted watermelon cliff blocks and I would eat one little block every 20 minutes was my goal so three an hour and that works out to be like 100 calories that way and then I try to get a little more um, through my drink mix but the drink mix was extremely light so we're going with light flavors and and then the salted watermelon blocks is just, those are really good and really easy to eat, even in the heat. Um, so that was kind of a big breakthrough because I wasn't having to 
force any gels and any kind of surges of, of sugar or energy that way. So I think I had like less oscillation in, in the calories I was getting. So it was more of a constant flow. Mm, that's really interesting. I wonder if that sugar mix is going to be available for the public. Um, or do you know, is it already in America? Uh, it's not. Um, in a, a really early prototype thing, um, and Cliff's just been really nice about working with me for that, and they have to um, actually like package it all by hand uh, in the headquarters. So um, they're, they're just kind of right now going really out of their way. But, um, yeah, it might turn into uh, redoing uh, or providing another option for their hydration mix. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if, if things change down the road and, and something similar or this specifically became available. Hmm. Well, that'd be really interesting to try. Um, it's really cool that you've teamed up with them. So we come on to the emotional side now. And so Chris Ball wants to know what emotions you go through doing races of that magnitude, while Mick Farrer wants to know how you deal with any negative thoughts. Overall, you go through everything. You go from way too early in the race going like, oh man, I'm going to crush this race and I'm going to win to like five miles later, like, oh my gosh, what was I thinking? Like, uh to like they're gonna catch me to I'm blowing this race again I sh did I go out too hard I mean all the all the the things go through your head in general if it's a did I go out too hard did am, I'm, I might be blowing this race second place is coming up if it's a negative thought like that you really need to minimize it and move on your thought process like immediately um, lingering in the, a negative thought pro like a negative thought is not beneficial in any way so if you can focus on time or food or um getting to the next aid station or if you do feel good really embracing that um embrace positives embrace neutral like definitely mitigate and forget about any negative thoughts that do pop up like as much as possible um it's never going to help you to focus on the negative side of things um so just when things do go right in a race and if you clip a, a really good split, um, that's going to be a really positive thing. But uh, you also need to kind of be weary of like, well, don't make sure it's not too hard of an effort. And, and like you try to keep the effort a little more smooth maybe. And then all of a sudden, if you clip a couple more seconds or minutes off of your next split, you're like, all right, we're moving really good. So um yeah, you definitely, like, I, I get a whole range of uh, emotions, like, all across the spectrum, but it goes to mitigating and forgetting about the negatives and then really embracing and trying to focus on positives or just the next goals um, in general during, especially a, an event like an ultra um, breaking the race up into smaller manageable goals and just taking it one one step or one goal at a time is really important. Like, don't worry. Like, you'd never go into a 100-miler and go, this is a 100-mile race. You, you like, uh, I personally break it up into aid stations and I try to almost kind of keep a plus-minus game in my head of if I'm ahead or behind on splits and 
a lot of that goes to really good experience of um, how to make splits for yourself. Uh, for me, I'm kind of lucky in the fact that for most races, I can take some sort of rough estimate off of course record splits, which are usually available. Um, that makes it a lot easier where um, someone in the mid-pack or back of the pack, those splits might not be as readily available or it just takes a bit more homework. So if you can find someone that's logged that race publicly on Strava that has a similar time that you might want to do, um, make sure that they ran an even-keeled race. But uh, finding and working out splits is, I think, really important because if you can make good splits, then all of a sudden you have a really good game plan that has small, accomplishable goals that you can focus on all day and they're all independent it's not like one split's really related to the next split um so just making it more achievable that way um and just carrying on from those negative thoughts uh, the idea of that um this is a question for me because personally i'm just really impressed with how you've come back from races that haven't gone so well and i just wondered if you could give everybody on my YouTube channel some advice on what you can learn from a DNF I wondered if there was like a top three things that you personally think yeah. people can learn well there's definitely more takeaways from races where you DNF um, as far as things that didn't go right it, it's harder to take away positives and negatives from a race like Western States this year um, because things did go so well and you don't notice always what's going right and what decisions ended up making it better um in general from disappointing races or really great races kind of my rule of thumb is take take all the bad ones and take all the best ones and throw them all in the trash and try to just may, remain like as middle down the road and as hungry and eyes on the next race as possible it's like I'm not trying to dwell on Western States this year. Like I, I have the next goal of UTMB um, at the end of August. So it's like I, I escape to um, the mountains where there's no cell service and I have to drive into town for this uh, conversation. So it's like, um, and I'm just trying to get away from it all as much as possible because if whether it was a DNF like last year or um, a course record like this year, um, I'm trying to get away from it and just worry about the next one. You try to take away lessons learned, but at the same time, the, the last race doesn't matter and it's not going to help you your your next race if you just dwell on it. I mean, kind of no matter the result, but um, finding ways to stay hungry and focus on the next race as opposed to races that were in the past is definitely going it, to, it plays a big factor in how I focus um, with my training. Do you think there's positive things though, like as in you learn some really important information about yourself, your gear, your nutrition, your brain maybe? Yeah, like um, I, I definitely find some of the races that didn't go perfect, you definitely get into trouble and you can really find that out when it's a tough race, kind of what you're really made of, where when a race 
goes perfect. Um, you don't have to be as tough always. So yeah, that you definitely need to take away lessons and stuff. And a really important thing is it's okay to make mistakes, but try not to repeat mistakes. And as long as you're not repeating mistakes, hopefully you'll run out of mistakes to make. Um, I kind of feel like from when I started running ultras in 2014 to now, like I've, I've messed up just about everything. Um, and yeah, like dialing in the socks that I like wearing, um, the shoes that I'm going with to, um, to like last year having stomach problems at Western States kind of bled into my next couple races with my stomach just not feeling normal. Uh, for a couple months Um, so what I ended up having to do and trying to do at least is coming up with just more plan B, C, D, E, F, G sort of like so many backup plans as far as nutrition where like at Western States I had tons of backup plans for nutrition this year but it was a really good day and it seemed like my stomach was reacting kind of days of old where I could put down um a lot more and not have as many problems so um but the experience to have the backup plans and redundancy and kind of catches to if this goes wrong then you still have this so um yeah you, you definitely have to to learn from races and that's where experience becomes so important and I mean, it's like last year at UTMB uh, to try to compete against so many guys that have gotten not just top 10 at UTMB, but also like years of winning or years of on the podium. And to try to come in last year with no experience at UTMB and no big ultra mountainous race and no night running and and stuff, it, it was difficult. But the amount that I learned from UTMB and then even Diagonal de Fu, which a lot of people probably think, like, don't understand or, or whatnot. It's the only other race I've done since UTMB last year where I got to run at night. I got to run with the big pack, tons of mountains, um, and really, like, have redundant uh, nutrition plans. So, like, for me, Diagonal de Fu last year was just a huge improvement race as far as things I was learning about myself, even though the race itself was a, was by all means kind of a failure, but it, it wasn't really the purpose of the race to have a great race there. It was to just go try what I may or may not have learned at UTMB and seeing kind of what's sticking. Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah, I guess learning from mistakes and... Uh, forgetting your best races and your worst races and staying hungry is kind of key takeaways just just cast your mind back to last month then you're rounding the the final straight in the western states and you're about to cross that finish line and then you get such an incredible time how did that feel yeah well i actually hit the track and i kind of saw i might have a chance to break 1430 and just nip under at like 1429 high (laughs) So I was giving it a really good, like, punch on the back. Um, but then I saw the clock tick over just a couple strides from the finish. And I, I don't know. It's not like I didn't have anything planned. And 
I like walking it through the finish line in general, so I kind of stopped and took my time to go through. And um, yeah, I think going through the finish line is definitely a time to slow down and savor the moment. Especially, like, that's a big reason why I like ultra running, where on the track you don't really get to savor any moment because you're kicking all the way through the line. Where in ultras, I kind of say, if you did the work up front, you should be able to have a, a little breath to, to savor the moment. Um, I guess that's something I hope to do at UTMB this year because last year, uh, Pal Capel was chasing me the last K or two. Um, so last year at UTMB, I was basically kicking all the way through the line and making sure he didn't catch me um, and push me out of the top five. So, um, yeah, I mean... It was good. This year at Western States really felt like the result finally came that um, a lot of people were rooting for. I, I think for me, um, like not having a pacer was kind of fun to do for myself and, and trying to make my own game plan and seeing how it my race worked out, but as far as winning and, of course, record, that really felt like uh, it was a gift back to people that are rooting for me and, and people that believed in me um, for a while now. So it was, it was really cool to feel like I, I paid it back um, to all the people that have been supportive of me. And then so afterwards, obviously, um, there's some recovery time. Um, Dave Elsom is interested in, like, do you completely rest for some time or how does it work for you? No, I, I definitely am a big believer of uh, active recovery. Um, but then I think the week after Western States is kind of when I finally pulled out a calendar and I, I pointed at UTMB on the calendar and you count the number of weeks and you kind of see how quickly you can ramp up to where I want my base mileage to be. And so Western States ends up being a, a really quick turnaround um, to get ready for UTMB properly. Um, so it's not ideal for recovery and kind of how my training starts is really slow. Um, I keep my, like, because I kind of force my mileage back up a bit. And with that, um, you, you have a lot of tiredness, a lot of lagging, and you got to still listen to that. Even if you start throwing the mileage back into it for, like, for my instance, to turn it around for another big race, um, you need to listen to the intensity side of things. Otherwise, like, you'll just run yourself completely into the ground. And what's really nice about why I'm, I've chosen to do all of my training this year in Silverton as opposed to half here and then half on the UTMB course like last year. Um, is The main reason is that I'm, I'm like camping and living at 3,300 meters. So even when I'm hiking, um, and everything still goes up from there. So uh, even when I'm hiking, uh, I'm breathing really hard. I'm working my lungs. I'm, I'm training the altitudes, getting my blood ready for a big endurance race. Um, so you can get a lot of bang for your bucket as far as the intensity that you have to put in here compared to if I was at sea level to kind of get a similar breathing workout while I'm running. 
takes a lot higher intensity. Um, and then in general with the lower intensity, uh, I can do bigger back, like bigger weeks, bigger days, bigger mountain runs. So, um, that, that's what I'm finding. I guess this is my second year of experimentation doing this last year being kind of the first, uh, but I, I think it's just really good preparation. Um, but ideally I would do active recovery. Like I only kind of had one week after Western States this year and it ended up being about 20 miles and there are several days off in that, but probably ran four times in a week. And so I averaged about five miles a day, um, when I did run, uh, but it would just kind of be a shuffle and whatever, whatever pace it ended up being, just let it be that pace. And then then the next week I bumped up the mileage a lot from there, which isn't smart, but I guess uh, sometimes you got to take a little bit of a gamble that you can get away with it. And so I bumped it up to 80 miles after 20. Um, ideally, I would have done at least two weeks of around the 20 miles and then get back into it and have a, a little slower buildup. But... Um, my, my goal is to win UTMB, so when I put it on a calendar and I work backwards from the race date, um, I, I saw that I needed to get back into the mileage quicker um, if I want to have an opportunity to do um, to, to win UTMB. So uh, that's what I'm trying to do, and luckily things feel like they're coming back um, and feeling good, so... Uh, yeah, we're getting after it now. Awesome. It does sound like it's going well. I think it's going to be amazing, yeah. especially if you're planning on winning it. Um, are you also sp- planning on smashing the record there? Um, the course record there, I would say, has a lot less pressure because the course changes so much. Mm. Um, technically, I did dip under the previous course record last year, but the course was different. And so I think... A lot of times they have weather conditions where they alter the course just a little bit. So it's not, in my mind, it's not really a true course record. So that's another thing of like, it just takes some pressure off of like, I don't need to worry about running at a certain time. It's, it's really more about like, what time do I think is going to be suitable to be competitive and to to make other people uncomfortable and to give myself an opportunity to compete and and to to finish up front so um yeah I, i think a race like utmb hasn't been consistent enough to really get hungry about the course record Fair point. Yeah, that's definitely a, a good point. Um, and I'm just wondering, who do you think are your main competitors out there at the UTMB this year? Um, well, I mean, obviously with Killian, uh, he's got to be the favourite in, in this race. Uh, Francois is not back. Um, Ryan Sands is in there. Luis Alberto. Um, Andrew Miller. Zach Miller. Hayden Hawks. Uh, there's actually a lot of Alex Nichols. There's a lot of really good Americans coming in. Um, I think it, it's kind of cool. In general, we, we kind of keep track of maybe 
uh, everybody else versus the Americans in the top 10. Uh, I think we have a good opportunity to, to outnumber the Europeans this year because we, we have a lot of talent, but at the same time, I think we have um, a lot of inexperience where uh, whether it's Ryan Sands or Killian or um, Luis, they, they've raced a lot more over there. And then just in general, it's more comfortable to, I think, be on your own continent. Um, there's less traveling, uh, just simple things from the showers not being the normal, like, not normal to Americans and stuff, uh, plays factors into not being as comfortable and just tiny bits of stress that way. Um, going in the grocery store and not knowing like the brands to, to get or what grocery store is good sort of thing. So it's little things like that that do play a factor of like whether it's um, Britons coming to the U.S. or Europeans or I mean, but overall, it, you have to overcome it, and it's not a big deal. It's all the same. Um, one of the nice parts about uh, this six-week training block I'm in right now is I'm literally outdoors in a tent camping and, like, getting a shower every couple of days. Um, so it's like, <laughs> no matter what, Europe's definitely going to be way more comfortable than this. So uh, <laughs> it, it's all good, and... Um, I really like the European lifestyle a lot, so uh, it, it's good. As far as competitors, um, there's just a it's, a, it's a lot. I think it's definitely, again, uh, just like last year, uh, the most competitive ultra in the world right now, as far as like well-known names that do trail running. Um, I think if a lot of people, even myself included, look at comrades, it's hard to look at names and really know what because it's a little different niche and world of of ultra running um western states uh western states is pretty competitive as well but i think this one's utmb is just drawing more and more um the, the way they have the structure for to make it easy for elites to get in and encourage them to do it and be a part of the ultra trail world tour and and stuff uh, makes it really um, appealing as an elite. Um, but as, especially as an American elite, I think uh, the first male American is still yet to win at UTMB. We've had quite a few ladies win, but on the men's side, um, I think that will be a really good career win, um, no matter who can pull it out. Uh, so... If it like myself, um, I would love to be the first American male to win, but uh, th there's a lot of other American men that are going to make it really difficult. Let alone um, <laughs> the the Europeans just keep winning it, so uh, they're obviously doing something right. That's yeah, that would be amazing. It sounds like a brilliant race this year. You were mentioning the things that are like slightly different in America that makes everything a little bit more stressful when you race on the continent. And you've mentioned it before, but um, but Paul Waldron's got a question about your view on pacers because obviously in those American races you can have them, but we don't tend to do that in Europe. So, um, wh which one do you prefer, having done both? 
I kind of like not having pacers. I think it makes you pretty self-sufficient as far as uh, with your strategy and your effort level. Um, you you kind of have to be, like, if you get yourself into really bad trouble, really um, delusional and not thinking straight and you're by yourself, like, that's a really bad situation. So you end up pacing the race a little bit more conservatively a bit and then in ultra that's uh, a lot of times really advantageous um but the flip side of it a big reason why the american races have pacers is we don't have mandatory gear um so it it's a i really don't like the mandatory gear either um i hate running with a full pack like i don't feel like i need all the stuff in there. Um, I, I like, in my opinion, I wish, uh, I don't know how they would do it. If it would be a certain ITRA score that you could apply to, to not have some of the mandatory gear based off the weather. Um, but it, it, there's good and bad to both. Uh, but overall, I guess I'd say I prefer no pacers. No pacers, no gear. <laughs> no pacers, no gear. You pack what you think you need, and outside of that, it's going to be the experience of what you pack that's going to potentially make a difference. I don't think many people are bringing additional gear to the mandatory gear, so it goes, the mandatory gear is probably a little extensive, and I, I don't know, I, I don't really feel like I'm ever going to use a space blanket or like my waterproof pants like I'm either gonna dress appropriately or I'm probably not gonna pull out my waterproof pants in the middle of a race like or if I do it'll I I don't know um the day is probably just not going as I planned if I'm having to use a lot of the gear and the mandatory gear where if the day is going how I did plan um then I planned accordingly I'm using the gear that I thought I would be and feelings going well um but the mandatory gear is there not for an ideal day. It's there for emergencies and just in case. So, I mean, I, I definitely get it. Um, but at the same time, uh, I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I know what you mean. It's like a bit more freedom with it rather than you must take this because you might need this and you just maybe don't. Um, but it's really funny to hear you say that about the waterproof pants thing because in Britain, if you didn't go out without some waterproof pants, then you'd definitely regret it maybe even just one hour later when it really didn't look like it. So it's just really interesting yeah. to hear like how it is different in different, um, different well, climates. I, I mean, I think, like, say if it's going to be wetter or colder, I might go with half tights instead of shorts and and cover my legs a little bit more. But if it's really raining, the waterproof pants aren't really going to help. And if it's warm and it's raining, it's just there's no way I'm going to put on a waterproof layer because you're just going to overheat even more. So I, I don't know. And even to an extent, a rain jacket um, is kind of best only if it's cold. If it's warm and it's raining, you, you kind of got a problem with the rain jacket in general. Um, and if it's raining enough, it doesn't matter how waterproofed you are, essentially, you're going to get wet if you're out there for hours and it just keeps raining hard. Um, so part of it's just learning to embrace it rather than try to stay protected and fight it off. Of, um, but it goes to 
uh, a big, one of the biggest things you can do is keep moving and move fast because uh, the movement's going to keep you warm and you can get away with a lot less layers as long as you're moving, but that's kind of the asterisk and how many times do people run ultras, myself included, and all of a sudden you're not moving the way you thought you were anymore. Um, so, yeah, I mean, when, when things go well, it's easy to plan for. When things go bad, well, you hope that you brought the gear. Yeah, it's for the race organisers, isn't it, to be like, well, if this guy gets injured and can't move, then he's got all this stuff he can put on because you could actually get hypothermia and, you know, there's, it's danger of death then, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, but at the same time, you could have uh, heat stroke and heat-related stuff at Western States and there's no mandatory gear of how much liquid you need to be able to carry. I mean, it goes... Do I drink a lot of water? Yeah, all right, I'm going to bring a lot more water, like carrying capacity, um, and I'm going to fill up more often, or I'm going to bring tablets to treat water so I can fill up even more than just the aid station. So it goes to just plan ahead in common sense. Um, I think if you're properly preparing, then that means you're properly getting out in the conditions, and you should know what to expect because you've already gotten yourself in trouble at other times, so... Um, you kind of learn how to prevent it and hopefully, uh, but at the same time, yeah, it's, it's still sport for the masses. It's not just an elite sport. It's not just people like me that have time to move out to the mountains for a couple of weeks and go out there. It's, it's a bigger sport than that. And, and overall, it's better to have a generalized rule to just cover everyone. And, um, whether you need it or not, just make a standard gear list is a pretty, good and easy solution for that. I've seen you running um, in the US where it's obviously really, really hot. You've got the, the big holes cut into your running tops. Um, and uh, a guy called Paul Barton wants to know um, if he he thinks that you should actually create some tops like that and sell them. Um, he suggests they're called a Jim Coolsley vest and the Jim, <laughs> the Jim Holsley tee. <laughs> uh, what do you think about that? Selling stuff and creating stuff is really fun idea. But when it boils down to it, right now in my career, I like spending my time as a pro runner with less stress and focusing just on running and not running a business and not creating products and trying to build a brand that way. So um, it's just not a priority at this point in my career. Um, maybe stuff like that will come out in the future if I want to try to merchandise stuff. But um it, it's not really uh, part of my focus in this point in my career. <laughs> oh, he thinks you should patent that design right away. <laughs> um, and um, so we're just moving on to some like other stuff now. Last Man Running wants to know, um, do you ever get to run races just for fun? Like with your friends, ignoring the pace and times? Um, no, I guess that is essentially the short answer to that of, when I sign up for a race, uh, uh, it's kind of people in the sport know who I am now, so it's a lot more pressure to, uh, when I show up at a race to go do a really good effort. Um, I get my fun runs in with my friends and by myself in my training, and we'll go do really cool routes and, and fun plan ahead and if need be, do water drops for ourselves and stuff. So we set that up just by ourselves. Um, it, I guess 
it was really enjoyable when I was first getting into the sport and you kind of get to be like a dark horse that people don't know and uh, you're like, oh, I'm going to come in here and surprise people or even if like you have a bad day, um, nobody knows, uh, nobody cares. Um, like say in 2014, I ran speak up 50K and I got like 27th or so and just blew up spectacularly. Um, but it didn't matter. No one cared. I was doing it just for fun and um it it was whatever and no one it was never on the radar so it was just still an enjoyable experience and not a big deal um where now if i showed up to a race and blow up spectacularly uh there's just more talk about it i guess so um it's not as fun <laughs> uh regardless it's better to be prepared and to kind of when you show up hit your race yeah, so the training is the fun bit. Yeah, totally get that. Yeah, I, I, I put it more in my training now. Um, and so people are interested in, in you potentially doing other races, like in the future as well. Like um, Richard Ball wants to know um, how long it might take you to run Ultra Tour Monterosa. Have you, have you heard of that one? Um, I don't know much about that one. I'll have to look it up a little more. It's organised by um, Lizzie Hawker, um, uh, you know the great trail okay. runner from the UK, and she um, she won yeah, UTMB yeah, yeah. five times. Yeah, so she set that up a couple of years ago, and you can run it either in four stages or you can do the whole thing. Um, I think it's pretty it's pretty similar to the UTMB. It's on a similar weekend in uh, time wise and um, a similar distance as well. So yeah, I suppose once you've nailed the UTMB, maybe that's one one to Google. Yeah, I, I'm definitely. Uh, I would love UTMB to work out this year because I feel like I can move on from both Western States and UTMB a little bit and do new races and new challenges. Um, at the same time, I think uh, right now, if, if I could stay healthy, do a bit more road training, um, I'd like to go after some of the, the road ultra records um, for a year, year and a half, and then also give comrades ago uh but at the same time i know when i've done speed work for western states this year um it was kind of aggravating my knee a bit so i'm a little skeptical now if if i'll be able to do the training and if not then i'll just keep doing the trail running because i can stay really healthy doing that one of the best things about having western states work out this year and trying to make utmb trying to win that one as well um is that I yeah definitely as a career I feel like I can start broadening into new races and find new new things to go do and kind of break up the redundancy that I've kind of found myself in the last couple of years of, of doing like I mean it's been three years in a row at Western States uh, four years including like I was gonna I was supposed to pay someone in 2014. So I've been there four years in a row. I've been at Hard Rock four years in a row. And now I'm going to UTMB two years in a row. Like, It's nice to have the routine and stuff, but it's also uh, one of the appealing parts of the sport is doing new events and new races and going to new places. Um, I think with Killian just recently breaking the Bob Graham round, uh, FKT, that makes that record um more on the forefront and really appealing so that might be really fun to go try and do um 
That's yeah, very well, exciting to hear. <laughs> That's really exciting. There's also there's the Bob Graham round and there's the Ramsey round as well and the Paddy Buckley round. They're all classic big British rounds. So it would be yeah. amazing if you came over here to do that. I definitely need to research and uh, check out routes and um, learn a lot more about the history as far as the rounds. Um, but it, they would be really cool. Mm, that's um, awesome. Um, what about um, other American records? Like we've got a couple of people who want to know if you fancy the Badwater or Strolling Jim or um, or the American, oh, you mentioned road running, the American 50-mile road record. Yeah, so if next year um, I start getting into some of the flat or fast stuff, I think things like Comrades, uh, American record in the 50 mile, which is only one minute off from the world record, um, which I think, uh, well, um, and then like American and world records for the 100K, um, I actually think that training bodes really well for um, some like really vertical races as well, because I think there's more specific workouts that need to happen to get leg turnover and like VO2 max workouts. So I think um, some uphill stuff could happen. Um, half marathon, marathon. Uh, in the US, you can qualify for the Olympic trials marathon by qualifying in the half marathons. So that would be kind of a cool odd way for an ultra runner to get into the u.s olympic trials in the marathon um i think and then uh next year what's actually kind of growing on my mind is maybe trying to go for matt carpenter's record at leadville i think uh when i talk to people and talk to people that have been in the sport for a long time on the american side they say that's one of the best uh course records so that would be a cool one to try to to try to go get wow that will sound brilliant it sounds i was going to ask you what's next but it sounds like you've got everything lined up <laughs> i mean i'm winging it all and <laughs> a lot of it really depends on health and staying healthy and getting in the proper training um so i think this next year uh, i have an ideal path i'd like to go but at the same time um i really need to play it by ear and if I end up doing the trail running ultra stuff the next year and a half, then that's great too because that's going really well. Um, but then ultimately, uh, probably after Comrades 2020, I'd like to kind of shut that book and <laughs> not ever have to go back on any road ultra stuff and uh, just get to do the fun um, ultra mountain races. And that, that's what I really enjoy. Yeah. Um, so like your bucket list does at the moment contain comrades does it yeah definitely <laughs> because um i think when you talk about diversity of races uh i i think maybe someone can correct me if i'm wrong but i think men and women no one's ever won comrades utmb and western states i know there's been several western states comrades winners and then like I think Killian's the only male Western States GMB winner, at least. Um, so that would be really interesting, I think. Wow, yeah. Do you mean within one year or just in general? Um, just in general. Uh, I think one year is quite difficult. Um, if I could pull off UTMB, I think I've, I've heard it called a, a Tiger Woods slam because you don't win it um, like 
January through December, you win it like June through May sort of thing. So it's kind of split in the one year, um, which even technically Francois had an opportunity to win UTMB and Western State in one year. Um, cause if he won Western States this year, he would be the defending champ at UTMB and Western States right now. Um, so that would have been, uh, pretty special if he could have pulled that off, but luckily it went better for me. <laughs> um, for me at least. And then, uh, now I have an opportunity to, to potentially do that at UTMB. So, um, I don't know, that, that's the first goal on the bucket list. And then, uh, further down the year, I'll be running the North Face 50 mile in November. Um, I haven't lined up for that race yet. And that one's a pretty big and important race in the U S. So, um, so that would be a really cool one to show up fit and ready for. And what about adventures? Like, um, I don't know, the Appalachian trail or something really big and long and technical. Um, something as long as like 40 days like that, uh, I think I'm going to stay away from my, in my opinion, it seems like people that do the really long, multiple, multiple, multiple days or weeks, um, tend to get really buried by that, that effort. Um, and it's something where I don't see myself wanting to give up being able to race the next race for a while in order to do something like that. Um, I think something like, uh, the John Muir trail, uh, the Tahoe Rim Trail, um, but like a, a couple of days, it seems like a, a fun um, challenge. But when you talk multiple weeks, uh, I'm, I'm not quite there yet <laughs> mentally to do that. Yeah, it's a long time. I read Scott Jurek's book about North and um, about the AT, and um, I don't know how he did it. He's just on like one hour's sleep a night. And yeah. It was I mean, amazing. It definitely, I, I read that as well, and it definitely plants a seed, but um, it's also interesting because it got broke the next two years. Um, <laughs> uh, and yeah, so now it's held by, uh, I think, John McConaughey, who broke. Scott Jerk Jerk and Carl Metzler's records Um, but I think it just goes to show that kind of hitting whatever record in more of your your youth and your 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 peak performance days is probably a little more important than being over your prime and and still going for it like I think those two guys still put out really great big efforts but a young guy that's like 25 that was able to recover a bit better was able to do it basically with a knapsack self-supported so it kind of speaks to um really going after your biggest goals during the best time of your career i think and um so for me just like scott and carl um during my peak years right now i i want to go after the big races and the hundred milers not quite and maybe I'll try to start creating an age group Appalachian Trail and go after their times when I'm a similar age. <laughs> that's a really good idea. Definitely an age group thing. That that's, that puts it all into context, doesn't it? Um, I'm sure they keep track of it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
I'm just wondering, I've just got one more question. Um, it's about the Bob Graham, because obviously I'm in Britain and Killian's just broke it and everyone's like, oh, the Bob Graham and everyone knows about it now. Um, but I'm just wondering, um, what, what are you like on really technical terrain, like really, really steep uphills and downhills and really, um, really rocky, uh, rocky paths? Um, do you like that kind of thing? Um, I wouldn't say it's my favorite thing. Uh, so I, I would say I do like it. I do enjoy steep technical stuff. But as far as races um, like uh, Glencoe or Tromso, I don't think I've ever tried doing a race on something like that. Um, I'm not sure I realize how technical or non-technical Bob Graham is. I mean, I, I literally don't know anything about it other than that it seems like about a 12-hour record and it's like time-wise I really like that time um, as far as I feel like I can I can push really hard for 12 hours for sure so I think uh, I'd have a good opportunity that way um, if it's really really technical um, I might have to do a bit more homework to get ready for it uh, if I choose to do that um, but I, I mean I enjoy it I find especially in the states that um if it's a technical ter like trail i can it's really in my favor in europe i think it's more common to train a bit more on that so um i i still find i i have a little bit of an advantage but not as big of an advantage and then i would say for someone like killian um if it's on a trail i think i could be faster if it's off a trail uh I think Killian's exceptional at that. So um, it just goes to practice. I, I don't necessarily do a lot of my training off trail, so or I don't do much of any of my training off trail. So um, I yeah, I, I don't know. So maybe the Bob Graham, if I do some homework, wouldn't be for me. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't mind it. And I think it does add a fun component. And I think it's really stimulating to run on it but I also find I don't like training on it because mistakes happen and when you like no matter when you fall falling hurts and you get bumps and bruises that kind of throw off your stride for a couple of days so I, I try to avoid that <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's really interesting. I mean, the Bob Graham has got a lot more traily because of so many people running it over the past 36 years, well, decade really. Um, but there are some quite technical bits. And I don't know if you saw some of the photos of Killian sort of running down the scree slope just after Scarfell Pike or after Scarfell. It, it just literally, I just saw that Killian broke it. I saw that it was a 36 year old record. And looking at the time, seems like that would be. Um, something up my alley but as far as no I, I i have no idea what i would be getting into at this point <laughs> oh i've written a blog post about it so i'll email it to you <laughs> okay yeah that'd be perfect i'll check it out fantastic you've given us so much of your time um, and all of these fans of yours are going to be absolutely um just made up that you've taken the time to answer all of their um all of their questions there was there anything else that you wanted to to tell people or anything that we haven't covered you think that we should know about um, you no it's all good i think uh i appreciate your time and everybody throwing out the questions i i think it's fun to do an interview with the uk because my last name, if I Google it, it comes up all over the UK, but like nowhere in the US. So it's kind of, kind of fun that way. So, um, yeah, I appreciate
appreciate your time and, and everybody's uh, um, submitting their questions. Awesome. Uh, thank you so much. And maybe you'll come to the UK and meet some long lost relatives then. <laughs> yeah, that'd be awesome. I, I've been to the UK before uh, playing uh, football, um, soccer. And, uh, but at the same time, um, not as a, as an adult and it'd be fun to travel over there a bit. Yeah. It's easy to travel there because you guys speak English. <laughs> yeah. If you go too far north, then it doesn't seem like much English. <laughs> <laughs> that is totally true. I can't understand uh, some people. But, um, yeah. So have you got any plans to come to the UK then? <laughs> uh, not at the moment. Um, but I'm definitely fond of the UK and, uh, We'd love to get over there sometime. Amazing. Oh, well, that's been fantastic talking to you, Jim. Um, and hopefully I'll get out to the UTMB um, and see you in person there and uh, hope that you have an absolutely fantastic race. Awesome. Thanks so much.